welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Today uh, we're embarking on a new series entitled Strange Lands. And when we planned this theme quite a while ago, we had no idea that it was going to precisely coincide with the exact uh, dates of the latest government lockdown. And we certainly didn't realise that we're going to be launching it on such a momentous day. Obviously, the US uh, presidential election results really being declared yesterday. uh, And then, of course, remembrance today. So I hope it's going to be a prescient and a poignant series. Research by the British Journal of Psychiatry that was published just two weeks ago uh, reported that 14% of 18 to 29 year olds have reported suicidal thoughts since lockdown began. That's 14% of 18 to 29 year olds. And the same report found that 26.1% of the population, so that's over one in four of us, have shown clear uh, signs of depression, whether it's mild or severe, again, since lockdown uh, began. So we are in pain. These are dark and deeply difficult times. Just uh, this week, I received a text message from Eric Jesperson at the Lighthouse. He said, uh, today we've welcomed a man who was about to jump in front of a train, but came here to Lighthouse as a last resort of hope. We've welcomed a woman escaping domestic violence with just the clothes on her back. We've welcomed an ex-soldier who is suffering from PTSD and is unable to face life and doesn't even have his own phone. And many more people uh, just walking in who are suffering with mental health issues and at great risk of further isolation due to lockdown. He says, it's a humbling privilege to be here and to enter each story, but also heartbreaking and a little overwhelming to see the scale of need. So yes, people are in pain, we are in pain. And in this series, we're going to be asking, how do we live well and how do we love well in this bewildering new landscape that we find ourselves in? And now you may be thinking at this point, haven't we done strange lands? And the answer is no, we haven't. But the reason you're thinking that is because when 24-7 Prayer heard about this series we were planning, they said, that's good, can we nick it for our conference? And uh, we, we said yes, of course, and didn't quite realise there were going to be 12,000 people in 112 countries. And then when Lectio 365 heard that this was then the theme of the 24-7 conference, they said, we'd better do a week of prayer on it. And I know many of you use Lectio. So but we are going to dig a bit deeper uh, in November into this theme. So let's look at the Bible together. Now we're going to look at an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage and we're going to use slightly unusual translations of the Bible. Uh, For our psalm we're going to use the King James version, the old-fashioned version, uh, and then we're going to use the CEV, the Contemporary English version, for the epistle. So you may want to just look at the screens now, but this is Psalm 137 verse 1 to 4, first of all in the King James version. 
by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required, uh, required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And now we're going to shift to 1 Peter 2, 11 to 12. The Apostle Peter writes, Dear friends, you are foreigners and strangers on this earth. So I beg you not to surrender to those desires that fight against you. Always let others see you behaving properly, even though they may still accuse you of doing wrong. Then, on the day of judgment, they will honour God by telling the good things they saw you do. These two passages were written six centuries apart, and yet they remind us that the primary predicament of the people of God throughout history is not comfort, but conflict. It's not sweetness and light, it is struggle and fight. It is the disconcerting experience of exile. And so the psalmist cries out, how can we sing the song of the Lord in a strange land? Because he is uh, exiled in Babylon. And then 600 years later, the apostle Peter addresses the church and he calls them foreigners and strangers or exiles. Because that's precisely what they are. By this stage, the church had been scattered throughout Asia Minor by persecution in Jerusalem. And so, I mean, you imagine someone turns up at your door with a, 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 a semi-automatic rifle one day and forces you and your family to leave home. You leave everything behind. You're never going to see it again. You're forced by waves of persecution to move to other cities and other countries. And so that is why the Apostle Peter says that, addresses them here as foreigners and exiles. God's people are destined, it seems, to inhabit strange lands. Let's look at the whole narrative arc of Scripture. First, we were exiled from the Garden of Eden, and we've been homesick for it ever since. Then uh, the people of Israel uh, under Joseph were effectively exiled from Midian into Egypt where they became slaves for 400 years. Next, they were exiled in the wilderness under Moses' leadership, wandering around homeless looking for a promised land for an entire generation. Then once they actually had a homeland, you might think, well, that's the end of exile. Nothing could be further from the truth. There are no fewer than six exiles uh, that come to the people of God, uh, even when they have their own homeland. First in the 8th century, there's the Assyrian exile. Then there are no fewer than three Babylonian exiles in the 6th century. Then Emperor Titus uh, destroys Jerusalem in AD 70, just after uh, Jesus. And then Emperor Hadrian, yeah, that one, the one who builds walls, uh, he exiled the Jews from Palestine in the second uh, century. And then I haven't even mentioned the Crusades in the Middle Ages and the Nazi Holocaust in the last century. Wave upon wave of dislocation, disruption, disorientation for the people of God. And this means 
that the things that we are experiencing, maybe in a slightly smaller way right now, the sense of alienation, of disappointment and doubt, these things aren't unusual. This season isn't kind of an aberration on some heavenly wall planner. God has not lost the plot for your life. Every Monday morning, um, I have the joy of leading our church prayer meeting online uh, at 8 a.m. And uh, back at sort of the start of the first lockdown, uh, we were just going into our, our, our Zoom call. Uh, we always have a great number at the prayer meeting. You're always welcome to join us. And, um, you know, we start with a couple of worship songs. And on Monday, it's Joel Hughes leads worship. Anyone who can sing at that time in the morning deserves an extra jacuzzi in heaven, as far as I'm concerned. I can't sing at the best of times. And um, so there's a couple of songs so, so we can focus in on the Lord before we, you know, go into intercession and whatever else we're going to do. And, um, you know, the, the moderator mutes everyone. So I'm there. Uh, on mute, just kind of having a time of worship. But I realise I'm about to lead the prayer meeting and therefore uh, I'm very aware I've got a frog in my throat. So I'm trying to look really holy because I'm on this Zoom call, you know, I'm lost in wonder, love and praise. But what I'm sneakily doing is coughing, uh, frankly retching. There were definitely moments I made the old noise and others. Uh, there was a kind of that gag reflex at one point, but I'm trying to look holy but I'm basically trying to desperately clear my throat because I'm about to have to speak. And then at the end of the worship time, I open my eyes and see everyone staring at me, seeing the worship leader staring at me and realising I hadn't been on mute. And the whole church, as it were, is asking why their senior pastor is having some kind of near-death experience, maybe even an experience of personal deliverance at the start of the prayer meeting. I had to write an apology to Joel and Jill Webber later. Of course, nowadays we're all expert at Zoom. Even my mother, who's watching this now, hello mum, uh, is an expert at Zoom. In many ways, we have worked out how to do lockdown. That's good because adapting to new environments is never easy. I remember when I lived in Hong Kong trying to get used to eating noodles for breakfast. I remember when we lived in Kansas City being shocked to find shotguns on sale in our local supermarket. I remember turning up at the little nursery school with our two boys who were very young then uh, for the, one of the first days. And the receptionist looked at, little, looked at little Danny, who was three or four, and she said, gee, even your son can do the cute accent. At moments like that, you feel a long way from home. I'm sure there have been times through this year that you, like me, have felt a long way from home. It's been a bit like having culture shock in your own country. And so I've been doing some research into culture shock. And one of the leading thinkers on that subject is a man by the name of Kalervo Oberg. And he came up with a model that maps out uh, the stages we go through during culture shock. So uh, Kalervo Oberg, first of all, says at the start you go through what he calls a honeymoon period. And uh, that's when you just love the new culture and you're excited about it. Maybe 
we were like that at the start of the first lockdown. We felt heroic. We invoked the war spirit. May even have felt excited about what was happening. And then Oberg says you tend to go into the transition period. And th th this has two phases. Uh, first of all, around the three-month mark, you tend to be in negotiation with the new culture. And then around the six to 12 month mark, you go into what he calls the adjustment phase, where you are wearily beginning to compromise and accommodate. Maybe that's where some of us are at right now, on the six to 12 month mark uh, of this virus. When the latest lockdown was announced, Sammy and I um, put on Nat King Cole, uh, there may be trouble ahead, but while there's moonlight and music and love and romance, let's face the music and dance. And we danced around our living room. What else do you do? We were adapting and accommodating. But then, and this is good news, Oberg says that you eventually come to a place, not of being assimilated into the new culture as such, but of what he calls a bicultural existence, where you learn to live with two different realities. You are in the world, but not of it. You are different, yet the same. You are coping with lockdown, but not anxious about returning to normal. If you've got used to lockdown, but you're still really struggling to adjust to normality, then you're not yet at the bicultural stage. This is good news, I think, because it means that we're not trapped in Groundhog Day. We are actually making progress and learning to be bicultural in this new strange landscape. The strange is becoming familiar and the familiar a little strange. I don't know about you, but increasingly I do feel like an outlier in my own culture because of my faith. For example, here we are. We do this weird thing called worship on a Sunday morning. For many people, that's strange. I hold a traditional view of marriage and therefore a very high view of sex. That is not normal in society. I happen to believe that pornography is not okay, that it is demeaning and actually very dangerous. I believe quite passionately that a rich nation like ours has been blessed in order to be a blessing to the poor and to the vulnerable and to welcome refugees. Read the newspapers, that's not what many of our politicians think. I do believe uh, that political leaders should tell the truth and honour their private covenants, and that if they don't do those things, that it says something profoundly worrying about their competence and their credibility in public life. That's out of step with the culture. At a time, people say, well, it doesn't really matter what you do in private. I started watching a Netflix series recently that everyone's raving about. It's very, very cool. And I got into it. It was great. But then as it went on, I started to find that the constant depiction of, of sex and violence in a way that was just degrading and gratuitous and subhuman was dragging me down. It certainly didn't even vaguely reflect my own life or the life of anybody that I know. And so I stopped watching it and felt like an alien in the culture. I believe that babies in the womb should be protected. And if I put anything like that on Facebook, I don't just get people who disagree with me, I get people who are 
really aggressive against me. So when I start to say that, I find my progressive liberal friends don't like it. But I also happen to believe that vulnerable women should be protected and their choices respected. And that then puts me out of step with moral conservatives. So yes, for all sorts of reasons, I often feel that I'm a stranger in the culture. When Peter addresses us as exiles, I know what he means. When the psalmist says, how am I going to sing the song of the Lord in this strange land? I relate. How do we worship through a screen? How do we build community at a time of social isolation? How do we keep trusting God when life is disappointing us and he doesn't seem to be answering our prayers? How do we disciple our kids in this new landscape? How do we trust God's purposes in an atmosphere of such hysteria and fear? I want to suggest three keys for you that I believe will help us as we journey through this new lockdown. And those are values, versatility and vision. Values, versatility and vision. Let's think about those. First of all, values. Whenever the people of Israel lost all outward sign of God's blessing, you know, whenever they were exiled from Jerusalem and its temple, we find that they are forced to regroup around their essence, around their core values. And as a result, exile often sparked a renewal in the culture and a kind of revival in their faith. It was in Babylon, for example, that the Jews first developed their alphabet. It's the same alphabet that they use to this day. It was in exile that the Torah, as it were, part of the Old Testament, rose to become their defining document of their identity, their source of authority, because, you know, the temple and all its trappings had been removed from them. It was often in exile that there was a spirit of revelation that came upon the people of God and their theological thinking progressed. So there was great prophetic release in exile, but also uh, ideas developed. So many things that are just normative by the time of Jesus, like a particular understanding of heaven or of the angelic realm, these actually find their roots in the rich loam of the soil by the rivers of Babylon. And it was in exile that great leaders again and again uh, rose up. I think of Moses, Daniel, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, Ezekiel. And speaking of Daniel, look at how he handled uh, his own experience of exile. He dug back into his values. Firstly, he refused to eat non-kosher food. He became a vegetarian in Babylon because he didn't want to compromise. He wanted to hold on to that distinctive Jewish value. He also insisted on praying three times a day, even when it was made a criminal activity. He defiantly held on to his values in that strange land. And he rose up to a, a place of great prominence and power in Babylon. So, you know, this isn't someone who kind of just hid away and survived. He did, to use Oberg's language, become bicultural, fully Jewish, and yet fully able 
to relate to the new culture. In times of transition and uh, of any kind of disruption, it's inevitable that our values are contested. I confess that in the last lockdown, I thought this is a great opportunity to get fit. And instead, I wasted it. I didn't eat well. Sometimes when I'm feeling stressed, I just eat rubbish. And I didn't exercise as much as I meant to. And I wasted it. I feel like this lockdown is an opportunity to put that right. I found out that 292% um, increase during lockdown in the streaming of pornography. Just an epidemic of downloads. Friends, this is not for us as the people of God. We must put gateways upon what we will and will not allow into our thinking through our eyes. And if you're struggling with that, I want to urge you. I actually want to warn you, it's dangerous. It's addictive. It will put images in your brain. You cannot get out of it. It will start to depict the most beautiful gift of God, which is sex, as something that is other than the reality. And then the reality won't somehow measure up to this non-existent portrayal. It's demeaning. Uh, it's dehumanizing. It's not of the Lord. And so please, if you're struggling with this, talk to someone. You will trade a minute of embarrassment for a lifetime of freedom from that uh, addiction. They can help you, but get yourself free. Can I gently encourage you to get your heart right with God as we step into this new lockdown? To set some clear priorities and make yourself accountable to somebody you trust. One of the great things, as you know, is that the government said we can go on one-on-one -on -one walks with other people. What a great opportunity that is to, to maybe find a prayer partner and say, let's walk and pray together. Maybe if you're in a committed relationship, you could start to take walks together in that way. Maybe you might think of someone who doesn't yet know Jesus and say, let's go for a walk and pray that the Lord gives you opportunities to talk about him. Maybe you could seek out a walk with someone who can mentor you and speak into your life. It may be uh, like me, I, I, I'm determined to read a chapter of a Christian book every day through this latest lockdown. Uh, I, I've begun, I'm going to continue exercising at least five times a week. Uh, I'm going to take a clear Sabbath day off. And of course, this is an opportunity to prioritize prayer. So values are one of the things that will hold us true through the um, challenges of these strange lands. Secondly, versatility. Versatility. The second stage of transi transition shock, according to Oberg, after the honeymoon phase is negotiation and adjustment. If we're to thrive and not just survive, it, this season uh, is going to be one in which we will prize flexibility and versatility. To use the new buzzword, we must uh, learn to constantly pivot. When I was growing up, we had a, 
family honorary uncle who was a sort of a, like an early Bear Grylls. He was my uncle Victor and he had had enormous adversity in his life but he, he, he was incredibly resilient and he kept responding uh, to those challenges in ways that turned them almost into adventures. He was a commander in the British Navy and during the Second World War when his ship was torpedoed and they were sunk he swam ashore through shark infested waters with shrapnel and a bleeding shoulder and then finding himself behind Japanese enemy lines instead of just hiding and riding out the storm he began to organize guerrilla warfare to attack the Japanese. After the war when he left the Navy he took all of his savings and bought himself a wooden catch and began sailing around the world long before that was a, a fairly normal thing for some sailors to do. When he got shipwrecked on a remote uh, island in the, in the Pacific, he said this is an opportunity and he became a missionary for over a year to the people on that island whilst they rebuilt his boat. And then fast forward when he attended Sammy's and my uh, wedding in his 80s. I was a bit worried because I had a very cool friend in London who was a, a, a DJ, and at the time the cool music was house music. And so my friend Nick was playing this pumping house music at the reception and I thought where's Uncle Victor how on earth is this sort of gentleman sailor you know this 80 year old how is he coping I looked around and I found he was in the middle of the dance floor and actually he had a dodgy hit but he was one of the last people to leave the dance floor that night my Uncle Victor experienced plenty of trauma in his life but he seemed to grow through every setback and funnily enough, that isn't that unusual. We tend to think when we go through trauma that it's going to somehow shape us negatively, drag us down, set us back. But there's a significant body of research that has discovered uh, a thing they call post-traumatic growth. And this says that some people, not everyone, uh, when they come through trauma, experience five things. Firstly, enhanced appreciation for life. Secondly, a deepening of relationships with other people. Thirdly, an awareness of new possibilities. Fourthly, increased personal strength and resilience. And fifthly, profound spiritual transformation. Richard Tedeschi, who's one of the gurus of post-traumatic growth theory, says people develop new understandings of themselves, the world they live in, how to relate to other people, the kind of future they might have, and a better understanding of how to live life through trauma. John Mark Comer, our friend who spoke last week, says this, 2020 has the potential to make us or break us, to create trauma, that we will carry in our bodies literally till the day we die or to create post-traumatic growth. And the keys to that, I'm telling you today, are attend to your values, nurture versatility, and finally, just as we come into land, vision. The people of God survived exile again and again down the ages by maintaining a vision that sustained hope. Gradually, they stopped looking back with nostalgia, if only we could get back to normal. 
and they, they kept looking up and they started to look forward. And we see that progression again and again. So, for example, Psalm 137 that we started with, you know, goes from how, how can I sing the song of the Lord in a strange land to this place where Daniel is praying three times a day and one of the leaders in Babylon. It goes uh, from verse 9 of Psalm 137, where in the early days of, of culture shock, they are just venting their rage against the Babylonians, to the place where the prophet Jeremiah, in that same context of Babylon, is commanding the Israelites, is Jeremiah 29 verse 7. He says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city, that's Babylon to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if Babylon prospers, you too will prosper. That's a big change from Psalm 137, verse 9. The people of Israel have become bicultural. Notice, by the way, that that verse I just read to you comes immediately before one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. But the context is blessing the context that is oppressing you. To embrace the experience of exile. It's rejoicing in the pain of your predicament. And it's somehow that this posture of relinquishment becomes essential in unlocking God's purposes and plans for our lives. Friends, I just want to tell you, God has not forgotten about you. This latest lockdown, even this year, 2020, is not a missed opportunity. He is with you, he's for you, and he says to you, I'm bringing you on a journey where you are going to become bicultural. You're able to live in this world and the other world. He says to you, this trauma doesn't have to damage and diminish you, but you can grow through it. I've tried to be real in this talk about the trauma of this season, but also to suggest that this latest lockdown is an invitation from the Lord. And for that to happen, we must attend to our values. We must get our hearts right with God. We must, we must push into the invitations of the Holy Spirit. We must stay true to who we really are as followers of Jesus. I wonder whether maybe for some of us, there are some challenges, as I was praying earlier, I sense for some of us around just our words. And the Lord is calling us in this season to really attend daily to our tongue, to, to just practicing speaking positively and speaking well and speaking encouragement and not speaking critically and negatively over those around us. I wonder if there's a calling to vision for you in this season. In the last lockdown, Mark Hutchinson uh, recorded an album. Uh, Sophie Hulbert has pressed into prayer in a very uh, remarkable way in a very difficult time. Pete Wilson, who's uh, not working at the minute, got in touch with me and said, I want to volunteer. How can I serve? What can I do in, uh, to help in the church? If you're a frontline worker right now, you're going to be busy. You know what your vision is. You know what your call is for this latest season. If you're a parent, what might this month mean for your family? There's an invitation for all of us to go deeper in our relationship with the Lord. In just a moment, 
we're going to give an opportunity for you to, if you'd like to do so, to receive prayer ministry right now during this service. There's going to be a link that comes up in church chat and by clicking on that you will be able to go straight across and there'll be someone who we trust who'll be there just to listen to you and pray for you. We found the Lord moving powerfully in, in ministry. It's one of the surprises of learning how to work like this through a screen but it's extraordinary the way the Holy Spirit can work in your life so don't miss that opportunity. But just before we do that let's finish with a prayer of relinquishment. And uh, this is uh, one of my favorite prayers. It's from Richard Foster. And I, I do sense that if we are gonna become bicultural, if we're gonna grow through this trauma, one of the keys is going to be just learning to accept the Lord in this. Stop fighting it and relinquish to him in it. So uh, you may wanna just open your hands in front of you now, wherever you are, wherever you're watching this. And let's pray. Today, O oh Lord, I yield myself to you. May your will be my delight today. May you have perfect sway in me. May your love be the pattern of my living. I surrender to you my hopes, my dreams, my ambitions. Do with them what you will, when you will, as you will. I place into your loving care my family, my friends and my future care for them with a care that I can never give. I release into your hands my needs to control, my craving for status, my fear of obscurity. Eradicate the evil, purify the good, and establish your kingdom on earth for Jesus' sake. Amen. Okay, it's a powerful prayer. You may want to just linger with that for a little bit. The slide's coming up now. And those of you who'd like to receive some prayer around any of the issues that I've raised, just click on the link in church chat now and there'll be someone there who'll be delighted to listen to you and pray for you in a confidential way. Thanks, everybody. In a moment, we're going to respond to this message by taking communion. <laughs> 